Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. All right. Now look. Now look. I hope you're ready. I hope you brought your notepads, and I hope you're ready to buckle in for this message that John asked for us called, How Does What Happened Then Affect Us Right Now? How Does What Happened Then Affect Us Right Now? I cannot wait to hear this, this, this message. I can't wait for you to hear this message. But before we do that, I want you to check out the story of one of our dear friends. Her name is Ruth. Check, his, check out her story up on the screen. Hey everyone, I'm Ruth. Um, just want to tell you a little bit about my story. Um, grew up here in Newport News, it's my hometown. Graduated from Hampton Christian. Um, at 18, I met my husband. He was a Marine stationed at Naval Weapons Station in Yorktown. Um, I was a believer, but not necessarily a disciple. Um, he was churched, but not a believer. Um, we had kind of a whirlwind relationship. It was pretty dysfunctional from the start. There were a lot of warning signs uh, that it was um, not a good fit, um, but because I was struggling so much with my own self-worth and because I was so intoxicated um, with the relationship, I ignored a lot of those things um, and rushed headlong into marriage with him after about a year, and it was probably just a couple months within um, the marriage that things began to deteriorate. Um, he became very cold and distant and I was struggling to kind of understand what the shift was in the relationship. So we were stationed in 29 Palms, California for a season and um, this was I think a year and a half into the marriage. Um, while we were there, uh, my husband began drinking very heavily uh, there were rumors of extramarital affairs. There was a lot of erotic behavior happening. Um, I didn't understand what I was seeing or feeling. He seemed kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde personality. Um, and I was struggling with a lot of depression. Um, and there came to a point where I was just after I'd had our first child and I'd had her prematurely. Um, there was a lot of stress happening that he told me that he wanted uh, to live a single life. He did not want to be married. Um, he felt like he needed variety. He was a, kind of like a tumbleweed. He was not meant for monogamy. And um, I was absolutely devastated. Um, returned home to Virginia, um, humiliated and terrified, preparing to be a single mom, probably divorced, thought the marriage was dead. And God just turned him over. Um, he pursued what he thought was going to bring fulfillment and pleasure, um, and I just held on to whatever I could um, in that season, just waiting to see what was going to happen. And um, he found the futility of his choices. Um, I think God just turned him over, and in all of that, he found Christ. Um, he found a saving relationship, and at that point, I had to decide what I was going to do. Was this something that I thought could be fixable, um, and decided that I was going to pursue reconciliation with my husband, and this launched us into what was basically a seven-year period of recovery for him. There was uh, the confession of um, sexual addiction to include pornography. Um, repeated adultery, alcoholism, and um, we worked and fought really hard those years to um, move through restoration. We ended up in a ministry position with um, Regeneration Ministries out of Maryland, dealing with other individuals and couples who had experienced similar stories, um, had three more children, he ended up being ordained. These were really good years for us of hope and healing. Um, stay-at-home mom, was homeschooling, and things seemed relatively good. 
and safe um, until about 2015. So by this time, uh, there was a lot of strain happening in the marriage. There were um, old wounds individually and between my husband and I that really hadn't been um, fully healed and addressed. Um, he was dealing with some disillusionment with where his life was and with ministry. He had financial strain. Um, and I was still invested in the relationship, still thought our story was, you know, going to keep moving forward and was pretty oblivious to the fact that we were actually headed towards another separation. I just couldn't see the signs. And I um, wanted to renew our vows that year for anniversary. And so we did. And that gave me some kind of superficial reassurance that we were still in this journey together. But five months later, uh, my husband um, said that he was leaving again. And he did. And he returned to his addictions. And so I was left um, just utterly shocked and terrified and felt absolutely forsaken. So how, how does what happened then, and when I say then, the resurrection 2,000 years ago, how, how does what happened then affect our lives, somebody like Ruth's life, right now? How does what happened then affect our lives right now? That's what we're going to dive into today. Before we do that, though, I want to pause and I want to say good morning. Happy and Happy Resurrection Sundays and Happy Resurrection Sunday to you. We are so glad that you are joining us today at Lifehouse. Please make sure before you walk out today, you go and grab your free family photo. All right, we don't get dressed dressed up all nice. Just I mean, you need proof of it, right? I wear a suit once per year at Lifehouse, and it's typically on Easter Sunday. So I'm sure Chris and I we're gonna be getting a photo. So please get one before you walk out. Today, that is one of our gifts for you today. Also, too, I want to just once again welcome all of those joining us for the first time. Can a Lifehouse family, can we just one more time welcome all those that are joining us here today for the first time? We have been preparing for you, and we are so glad that you are here with us today. And um, the card you got walking in is is uh, 2022 Easter sur survey, and we would sincerely appreciate if you would fill out this for us and keep it with you. I will reference it again um, as we close out our service, but we would love to get some feedback from you, and, and I want to bring up a couple questions that we have got that we would love your feedback on. The first one's this. It is, in your opinion, what are the three greatest barriers to the church flourishing? Everyone has, has an opinion on the church and what it is and what it should do, so we would love to hear from from you about what you think the greatest barriers are, but also too, this, the second question is what topics would you want the church and specifically Lifehouse to talk more about? And you've got a bunch of different options there. If you would just take this card, fill it out, we would appreciate it. We appreciate the feedback. And like I said, keep this with you. I'm going to be referencing it. But your story might not be Ruth's, but you can relate with it. That when you look at your story, when you look at your life, it's not exactly what you had planned. It's not exactly what you saw coming. And your story might not be Ruth's, but you relate with it because maybe you are like Ruth. Maybe you're going through some sort of just like unwanted divorce that you didn't see coming. Maybe you find yourself in a dead-end job that's going nowhere and you can barely make ends Meet. Maybe you're suffering physically in your body, and it's a chore for you to even get up every single day. Maybe you're suffering with anxiety and depression, where literally getting out of bed is a win for you. Maybe you've just experienced loss with, your, with, with someone you deeply loved, and now they're gone. Maybe, you know, you would even say, like, on the outside, your life is good. Like, you have no complaints. You got a good spouse, couple kids, the American dream. But even as you look at all of this stuff you have here, there's something, there's something still deep inside that you're like, something just isn't right. Right? And, and, I, and here's, here's, here's the thing, right? I don't, I, don't, I don't know what your story is or what you're walking through today. But what my heart is today is to help you connect what happened 2,000 years ago with where you're currently at in your life right now? Because I think that really is the question, right? Because here's, here's the thing, right? As a pastor, I want you to believe that the resurrection's true. 
So my proclivity on a Sunday will be like, all right, I'm going to get him to believe this happened. And we're going to dive into history, and we're going to dive into archaeology, and we're going to dive into textual criticism, and I'm going to convince him that this is true. But do you know what the thing is? If I try to convince you that something is true and talk you into something, someone else can talk you out of it. It's not about trying to talk you into something because, because let me just say, say this. Um, amongst some of the smartest people in the, in the world, even people who are not Christians, there isn't a debate whether Jesus lived and the resurrection happened. They believe it did. It's just the power of it and how they receive it is probably different. So I'm not going to be up here today trying to convince you it happened. We believe it happened, and not just because the Bible says so. Because that's what pastors, well, the Bible says it, therefore it's true. Some of y'all don't believe that. And, and you're like, oh, my God, well, you, yeah, there's a lot of people that, are, that go to church that don't believe in the Bible. Right, so we're just not saying it happened because the Bible says so. We're saying, because here's the thing, even people who lived their life wanting to disprove Jesus and disprove the resurrection, when they followed the evidence where it led, they concluded, even by their own not even wanting to, that it was true. One of them is C.S. Lewis. You know, C.S. Lewis, man, he, 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 I mean, a scholar, Oxford scholar, somebody who was a declared atheist, who was literally living his life to disprove God. He met a man named J.R.R. Tolkien who wrote the book, or who wrote the series Lord of the Rings, which I, I never read and I don't ever care to because I can't do fiction, okay? Maybe you're different. I slept through every single movie, okay? I got a great nap in every single movie, okay? But, but when he connected with J.R.R. Tolkien and J.R.R. Tolkien presented him, the evidence for Jesus and who, Jesus being who he says he was and the resurrection being true, even by C.S. Lewis' own admission, he said, I did not want to believe it, but I could not deny the truth that was presented to me. Couldn't deny it. And he said, by my own admission, I became the most pitiful believer ever. Because I believed it, but I didn't even want to, but I did. So some, Somebody else, Lee Strobel, this was a guy, a journalist, in the 1990s, whose wife started going to church. Well, sometimes, guys, right, your wife going to church can be your worst nightmare. Because you know, inevitably, your wife starts going, do you know what she's going to start asking you? You want to go to church? And Lee Strobel saw this happening. And Lee Strobel was like, I do not want to go to, like, I, like she's just going to go to church and get brainwashed. She's going to go in there, just going to take our money. And they're going to take her time. And so he actually, while she was growing, going to church, getting in classes, growing in the Lord, he actually set off to disprove Jesus and disprove the resurrection. And in the process of doing that, the evidence became too great. He ended up bowing his knee and ended up following Jesus just like his wife did. Because when he was confronted with the evidence and the truth and followed it wherever it led, he could not deny it. Somebody else, J. Warner Wallace, he was a detective in Orange County, California, and about the early 2000s, his wife started going to church. Great. So he, you know, he, you know, he tells his story, and he's like, great, my wife started going to church, and she started, you know, getting in, and started coming home, talking to me about Jesus, and he's a detective, so he's like, so he kind of does the same thing that Lee started doing, and he's like, I'm going to put this Jesus on trial. And I'm going to see, is there enough evidence to convict Jesus of being who he says he, he actually is? So he went through the, the process. He gathered the, the evidence, and not just biblical evidence, the extra biblical evidence. He put it together, and he concluded by the end of him doing his own research, Jesus would be convicted in a court for being convicted of who he says he was. And what did he do? He said, by my own admission, I did not want to follow Jesus, but I could not deny the evidence. He ended up bowing his knee and starting to follow Jesus. And he wrote a book called Cold Case Christianity. 
that I would encourage you, if you are struggling and wrestling and doubting whether this whole Jesus thing is legit or it's a bunch of crap, I would encourage you to pick up that book, Cold Case Christianity, and follow the evidence wherever it leads. I want to also say, start, starting off today, God is not scared of your doubts. He's not scared. Have you ever heard of Doubting Thomas? He was the one. The disciples came, came back to him, and they were like, hey, we've seen Jesus. Don't believe it. Nope, I got to see him. Got to see him for myself. But here's the thing, right? Thomas could not deny the evidence. And what I want to encourage and challenge you to do is follow the evidence wherever it leads. And here's the thing. You, did, you owe it to the, to the resurrection to do your due diligence to find out if it is actually true. Why? Because it's, the offer could be that good. So let me give you an example, right? If you got a check in the mail for $10 million. In the envelope, it, it was from a lawyer. And it looked pretty like a pretty legit logo. You got the envelope, you opened it up, and there was a letter from this lawyer. And it had, hey, we're so-and-so, your long-lost uncle, cousin died, whatever, they left you an inheritance of $10 million. Here is the check on their behalf. Praise God. Can we all pray? Lord, right now, let it happen to me in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. But you look at it and you're analyzing it because you're like, well, look at the check. It's got some account numbers. Okay. That's good. You, you turn the back. It's got the three lines to sign it and endorse it. You're looking at the check. It says, pay to the order of and it's the right name. You look at the letter from the lawyer, and it's got a really nice letterhead. It's got a website. You go to the website. It's legit. <laughs> I guarantee you see some of that, you would be dumb to not do your due diligence and check and see, is this legit and is this true? Why? Because the offer could be that good. Jesus and the resurrection is the same. Do your due diligence. He welcomes it, God welcomes it. But here's the thing, right? I'm not trying today to convince you the resurrection happened, but I am encouraging you to do your due diligence. And before we dive into how what happens then, uh, how what happened then affects you, affects how what happens now, let me first off remind you, if you're a follower of Jesus, the centrality of the resurrection. Resurrection, the, the resurrection of Jesus is not peripheral, it's central. Let me say it this way. No resurrection, no Christianity. The, one of the, like, the distinguishing factor that makes Jesus unique from every other God and every other re religion is he's not dead. <laughs> no one cares. Okay, I mean, I think that's pretty good news. Because if Jesus did not rise, he's just another good teacher. There's nothing distinct. And I mean, and what our world needed was not another good teacher, was not another good communicator, was not another nice Man, we needed somebody to come and live in our place and do what we could not do and live a perfect life and die in our place, not just for us, but as us on the cross in our place and for our sin and beat death. And this is what Jesus did. And the centrality of, of the resurrection is what Paul proclaimed because there were even people in Jesus' day that did not believe Jesus rose from the dead. And when Paul heard about this in churches he planted, he was like, y'all crazy. I got to write to y'all because if y'all don't understand the centrality of the resurrection, you miss the whole point and even purpose of Christianity. This is what Paul said. So there's this portion of scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, where he, he lays out to this church the importance of it. And I'm going to summarize it for you, not read it. But one thing, but this is what Paul said. He said, if the resurrection did not happen, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, he said, preaching is useless. He's like, it's stupid. Faith is dumb. We're still in our sins. The dead are lost. We're to be pitied. And then he's like, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do you know what Paul is saying there? YOLO. You only live one. Get in debt. Eat. Sleep with whoever. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, this is just another dumb religion. And there's no life in it. He said, we didn't need that. So here's the thing. As a Christ follower, you have to take the resurrection and put it as and, and put it central not on the peripheral 
I sometimes get bothered how the symbol of Christianity is a cross because really what started Christianity was the empty tomb. Like the church was born on that day. That when Jesus rose, a new standard was in town. Death was beaten. The ability to follow Jesus, who scripture calls the first fruits, essentially meaning the first one to beat death. We have the opportunity to attach our lives to him. I mean, even when we gather for church, essentially what we are doing when we gather as, as the church is we're coming together to worship a risen Savior, and then the church goes out and, and exemplifies and resembles and personifies the risen Jesus. Even our gatherings on Sunday is basically us declaring we are here not worshiping some dead guy in the ground, we're worshiping a living God. And I don't know if you guys know this, but Jesus is alive every Sunday. Like, he's literally alive every Sunday. And I'm glad we're celebrating it for a day. But you know we celebrate this, like, every Sunday. Like, every Sunday he is alive. And my heart is that we would have the same passion, this, the, like, for this day that we would realize Jesus is resurrected every Sunday. And we get the opportunity to gather together as, as his church to, be, to declare that and be reminded of who we are in Christ through this resurrected Lord. So here's the thing, right? Let's go ahead and transition. How did what happen then? How does it affect now? Because I think at the heart, we want to know how does this event change our lives right now? Because some of you are walking through some pretty intense stuff. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. So my, so my prayer today is that what I say today will help you relate the resurrection with your situation. The first thought is this. The resurrection enables you to live in a new narrative. The resurrection enables you to live in a new narrative. I don't know if you've realized there are a lot of people that are trying to get you to live in their created story. News organizations, political organizations. There's a lot of people and organizations and things trying to get you up in the whirlwind of their narrative of the world. They're trying to get your time, your attention, energy, your focus, because they want you to live in light of the story they have created. And what we actually find is this was no different than in Jesus' time, because here's the thing. Put yourself in the shoes of being one of Jesus' disciples when Jesus was still living. You have Jesus, who to many Jewish people's minds and to their story was Jesus said he's the, he's the Messiah, so for them, Jesus is a political leader. Jesus is like, okay, they see Jesus as he's going to deliver us from Rome. We're sick of living under the oppression of these Romans. This, this messianic leader is going to rise up, and he's going to deliver us from the oppression. They view Jesus through the narrative and story of a political leader. And this was their... their narrative was too narrow they only viewed it as like jesus basically came to save a nation instead of jesus coming like to save humanity they did not see beyond their narrative so here's the thing right the the historian luke wrote in orderly account of jesus's life and put it together in a book of the bible that we call luke and one of the things that Luke documents after Jesus rose from the dead is this interaction between a couple of his disciples and Jesus himself. So we're going to dive in right now. Luke chapter 24, verse 13 through 27. This is what it says. It says, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking in the village of Maus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, said, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened the past few days. Now, for all y'all young cats in here, you might not know, but this is called a newspaper. <laughs> like, I used to actually, like, read this when I was, like, younger. And even for those of you who are a little bit older than 38 years old, like, this is how you got news. It wasn't your phone. It was like you'd have to wait <laughs> to, like, get the news. And then you'd, you'd have to, like, go page by page. And, and it, yeah, it's absolutely wild. Trying to find one of these was actually hard. 
but you have got Jesus' disciples telling Jesus, haven't you heard? It's been breaking news. You didn't check Twitter, Jesus? Like, you didn't check Instagram? Like, have you heard what's happened these few days? And Jesus is like, what things are you talking about? And then, and then they responded, like, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, he said, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. And here's the key verse. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer like all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus, what essentially Jesus told them was, your narrative is too narrow. You only saw me as a way to rescue the Jews. But here's the thing, my, Jesus is like, my narrative was bigger. And here's the key point. Jesus opened their eyes to a bigger narrative. He didn't just live, die, and resurrect to save a country. He did it to save humanity. He said it's bigger than just one person, one nation, one country. Jesus was like, the story that I am writing is so much bigger than just your little narrative. And here's the thing. How does Jesus fit into your story? Because in the disciples' story, it was like he just came to save the Jews. But, you know, we can judge them, but we're the same way because we can see Jesus. Like Jesus to you is just someone that you just see that he's kind of like a genie or a sugar daddy. And you're like, well, if I just do the right things, he's going to like me better. And then he'll give me what I want. And so Jesus to you is not Lord and King and Savior and resurrected King. He's a sugar daddy. And so you bring him down into your narrative because the narrative you live by is the United States narrative, which is like, yo, like everything exists to serve me. We've got to get Jesus out of our little narrative boxes that we have created for him. And we need to step into his bigger narrative, which is he is doing something so much bigger than just what he wants to do in our little lives, in our little country. He is on a rescue mission to save humanity. And when you resurrect, when, excuse me, when you encounter the resurrected Jesus, your narrative gets bigger. Because here's, here's, here's the thing, you have a story, but your story isn't the whole story. And I don't know what your story has been. I don't even know what your story will be. But what I can guarantee because of the resurrection and death being beaten and life being a destiny, you can attach your story with Jesus' story. And no matter what your story is, has been, or will be, you can know the end of the story. Because here's, here, here's the thing. You're going to live according to this or this. And this is, this is going to drive you crazy. I can't watch the news more than 10 minutes. My soul gets anxious. I start worrying about gas prices. I start worrying about wars and bombs and government. I mean, it's like all of this stuff. And it's like, what's it trying? It's trying to suck me down into this lower level narrative. When at the end of the day, see, here's, here's the thing, right? Christians are weird, all right? Let's, let's just be candid. Because Christians, right, most Christians will talk about the book of Revelation, right? End times. Christians love end times. And they'll get focused on, well, Jesus is coming back at this time. And maybe they'll start talking about black horses and white horses and red horses. And they'll start getting into all of these deep intricacies in the book of, Revel of Revelation. And, you know, I remember this one guy wrote a book in 1990 called 90 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1990. Fail. <laughs> so then he was like, oh, I meant 1991. So then he wrote a book, 91 Reasons Why Jesus is Going to Come Back in 1991. Fail. <laughs> Right, but it's, but see, Christians can be funny because we will want to know when's Jesus coming back. Who is is Elon Musk the Antichrist? You know, like like I'm I'm not even joking. People are crazy, right? The vaccines, the mark of the beast. You know, like people wild, bro, because they are so concerned with all of this end time stuff, but don't want to focus on what the end of the story actually is. The end of the story is Jesus wins. That's, that's what's unique about Christianity, is that when you look in the back of this book, you know how the story ends. And because Jesus beat death, Jesus is living.
And if we attach our story with his story, no matter how bad our story is, we can know the end of our story. And the end of the story as a follower of Jesus, the end of the story is life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will never taste death. And he was talking about spiritually, physically. Actually, you know what scripture declares your body as? It's a seed. So one, the death is actually a doorway. When, when, back in 2016, when I was seeing my, mom, my mom's body ravaged by cancer. I mean, a godly woman. So went through this period of just being angry at God. Because I'm like, man, she worked so hard to give her life for us. And. She can't even be here for when we start the church. And I mean, just all of these things. But seeing her body decay, I was reminded this body is just, it's a seed is what scripture calls it. And when that seed goes into the ground, it actually sprouts up into eternal life. Because why? Your spirit never dies. Your spirit lives on. And as I was watching that, I was reminded that, this world is not our home. This, this, this isn't it. There's something beyond this. And death is actually a doorway to the life you and I desire. And that is to be with the king of kings and lord of lords and the king of life forever. Here's the truth, though. Through, through the resurrected Jesus, you can see your story in light of this story. And even see your temporary losses through the lens of Jesus' eternal victory. And some of you, your, your stories have been wild. And some of you, you don't even know part of your stories yet because your stories is just partially written. But what, but what I want to encourage you is because of the, resur- the resurrection of Jesus and death being beaten and victory being an option for us, live, attach your story with his story. And you know what? At the end of the day, no matter what happens, you know what the end is. The second thought, how does what happened then affect you now? The resurrection empowers you to live free. You know one of the things Jesus declared about himself that was prophesied about him in the Old Testament that he came, and when he came on the scene, he declared this. Luke recorded it, Luke chapter 4. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me, and he's talking about Jesus, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom of the prisoners and to set the oppressed free. If I were to take you to a separate theater today and just sit you down and say, how are you doing? Many of you would give the same response that a lot of typical United States Americans give whenever we're in a hurry. Oh, I'm, I'm good. Just oh, just a little busy. You good though? Take it easy. And many times that's what we got to do because we can't, you know, we can't sit with everybody. So like, yeah, you know, but but then we end up doing that, but then that ends up becoming our default response, so we never get deep into actually really what's going on in our lives. And we end up not talking to anybody. And though you know who the worst people are? Church folk. Because church folk will come to church, right? And be like, how you doing, man? I'm blessed and highly favored, Pastor. I'm the head and not the tail, before and not beneath. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. And, and they'll be saying all of this religious lingo and all this stuff that sounds good and sounds holy and sounds spiritual. Well, on the inside, this is what their reality is. They're saved but bound. Bound to addictions. Bound to greed. Bound to anxiety, bound to depression, bound to people-pleasing. They're bound. And so many, I mean, we are the country of fake. Let's just be candid. I mean, people post pictures online on their vacations and their great cars and their great houses and their great families when really on the inside, this is their reality. Why do you think we're so medicated? Why do you think we are the leading nation in mental health issues? Why do you think? And I mean, it's absolutely, it's like we're trying to medicate the very things we're striving. It's, it's crazy. But what Jesus declared and why Jesus is such good news and why the resurrection today and why I felt led to declare this over you and declare this over our church that freedom is available. Freedom is available. I believe today that some of you, the beginning of your freedom from whatever is chaining you down, whatever is holding you down, whatever you're covering up, whatever you're just numbing, whatever you're just trying to act like isn't there, today is going to be the beginning of your freedom because on Jesus' behalf, I'm declaring to you that he came to set the captives free. And that because he set you free from your greatest enemies, which was Satan, sin, and death, those were your greatest enemies. Your greatest enemies is not the government. Your greatest enemies is not gas prices. 
Your greatest enemies is not the money you don't have. Your greatest enemies that were coming for you were Satan, sin, and death. And he took care of that. And he freed you spiritually. And now as you receive this freedom, he gives you spiritually freedom that makes its way out to your practical life. Freedom is not outside in. Freedom is inside out. Freedom begins spiritually to where once you give Jesus the keys to your life and you take them away from Satan and you give them to him, what you'll actually see is freedom on the inside then makes its way out to freedom on the outside. I say it this way, though. Freedom is spiritual and practical. But to get practically free, you've got to turn over the keys. And what, I'm, and what I am believing today is the beginning of many of your freedom today is going to be attached to you encountering the resurrected Jesus. The greatest example of this is Paul. Excuse me, Peter. Peter was one. Oh, Peter. He, I mean, he invented the cussing sailor. Like, Jesus called him to be his disciple. He had foot and mouth disease. He was always the loud mouth, always the one saying the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong place. Y'all know who that is. It might be you. Um, we all know someone like, like that, right? And Peter, though, he was the one that said, Jesus, I'm never going to deny you. I got you, Jesus. Oh, boys, right as soon as Jesus got arrested and the pressure was on, who was the first one being like, peace? Peter denied Jesus three times. Whenever he denied him three times, he left. He had so much shame and guilt and, condemn and condemnation. Can you imagine the internal conversations that Peter had with himself, knowing what he declared to Jesus, what he said he would not do, and he was the first one to do it? Have you ever been there? And just the kind of change that shame and guilt and condemnation do to you? Peter had actually left his calling. When Jesus died and resurrected and went to go find Peter, Peter was fishing. Because that's what Peter did before Jesus called him. Because he was like, I'm done. I have failed so miserably. I'm going to be a wreck my whole life. But then you see Jesus going after him, encountering him, asking him, Peter, do you love me three times? Peter denied him three times. Jesus restored him. And Jesus said, hey, look, I'm going to build my church on you, on people like Peter. And whenever you see the Holy Spirit falls, Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit falls, the church the, the church begins, you see the one that couldn't even stand in front of a servant girl, getting up in front of thousands of people, declaring the word of God, declaring repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. Do you know who it was? It was Peter. Because when he encountered the risen Jesus, his chains had to fall. Why? Because Jesus said, I came to set the captives free. And I'm declaring, and I'm just not trying to get emotional and loud just to be whatever. I because I am declaring that in your life that today is a day where freedom begins for you as you encounter the resurrected Jesus. Not sugar daddy Jesus, not Jesus wants to bless you, Jesus, not just the Jesus that you knew back in youth group, the resurrected Jesus who is full of power and life and is king of kings. And I pray those spirits that are chaining you are hearing me today. Because they're going to feel stirred. And you might even leap today and struggle more. But what I'm declaring is, is that freedom's available. And you can receive it today through the resurrected Jesus. Lastly, though, and I've got to hurry because there's this big number here that's like you're way over your time. So the resurrection not only empowers us to live in a new narrative. It not only empowers us to live free. But the resurrection proves that God will always make a way. And here's the reason why. If God will make a way to deliver you from eternal death, there is nothing that he won't deliver you from or deliver you through. Some of you, you came here today just for this, just for this word. Because you've been praying for God to deliver you from something, and what he wants to actually do is to deliver you through it. Like the very thing you've been praying for is what you've actually been saying is, God, give me what's easier, not give me what's better. And the resurrection proves to us, if God will make a way to deliver you from Satan's sin and death, in comparison to that, there is nothing you will encounter that will compare to that. So if he made a way through that, then he will make a way through or from or around whatever you're encountering. Greatest example of this is Paul. You talk about a control freak. Anyone else a control freak? This was Paul, man. He's a control freak. Like, he, he was a religious neat nick. He even said, I am faultless. 
That's how prideful, arrogant, and much of a control freak he was. He, you know, and, and it was like, so, so then you see Paul, and then when he encountered the, the resurrected Jesus, and he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, you start to actually see how his language changed from I'm in control, I'm controlling things, to at the end of the day, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, try, I'm tired of trying to play God. Because trying to play God gives you, you know, a lot of your anxiety is directly connected to your desire to be, to be in control. And essentially, you're what, you're what you're wanting to be is God. And whenever you can't play God of your own life, so we think you, the best thing you can do is let God be God and let you be you. Just saying. But, but whenever Paul, like you see his language flip. Let me just give you one example. Romans 8, 35, 37 through 9. He says this, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Like, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, we are overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, angels, demons, fears today, worries tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what he's saying? God gonna make a way. Nothing gonna keep you from God's love. Doesn't mean he that he doesn't love us if we experience stuff. No, he loves, like, Paul, and I can even see Paul here as he's writing this, recognizing his growth. Like, man, I was a control freak. I can't believe I'm writing that Whatever happens, God's in control. Sometimes you need to pause and stop and thank God you are not where you were instead of always looking at where you aren't. Because some of y'all have done so much growth and you devalue your growth because you only look at where you aren't. And some of you, you need to look back and realize, man, well, I'm not who I was five years ago. I've, I've been changed. I look back our first Easter at Lifehouse, eight, 2018. I remember looking back at the the night before, I was getting anxiety attack. I mean, I, I was, I mean, I, I was a mess. And then I looked at last night. I'm ready. I'm anticipating it. I'm like, Lord, do your thing. Why? Because I've grown. And some of you need to take some time to pause and look. But here's the big point. I want everyone to repeat this. Say, God. God will. God will always. God will always make. God will always make a way. We can know that because the resurrection, if he made a way through death, hell, and the grave, he will always make a way through you. I want you to, to hear the rest of Ruth's story. And right after that, we're going to do a song, and then I'm going to come back up and close out service. Check this out. So my husband eventually returned home, and um, we coasted for a while. was hopeful we could recover like we did the prior separation, but there just, there were no signs of repentance, unfortunately. And so that left this season of um, just kind of making it day by day and I was really unsure what the future held so my prayer to the Lord was just you know show me <laughs> show me what's in his heart and um, prepare me for whatever that is and about a year and a half later he confessed to being involved with a co-worker and wanted a divorce and um, I, I saw that coming it was not what I wanted to be the outcome but I knew that um, you know it was okay for me to let go We've had many bad days where we just could not see the good. There just wasn't enough Netflix, not enough Doritos, cursing, crying, margaritas um, to feel like we could get through or to have hope. And the pain sometimes was just too heavy. And I was not um, sure how in the world God was going to make a way for us financially, emotionally, or spiritually. And in the early months, um, God just settled the word abide into my heart. And that's from John 15, um, 4 through 9. And apart from him, you know, we can do nothing. Um, and it means to stay, to remain. Synonyms are to suffer, to um, accept. And I knew that this season, I, I wanted my children and I to thrive. Um, right at the moment, we were just surviving. but. To thrive was, was the goal, and I just really wanted to remain committed to the process of learning how to abide in Him and what that was going to look like. And um, there were times my mom would just message me out of the blue, and she'd be like, we're just going to get through today. And I didn't know how we got through each day um, or what God was going to do each day, but we got through, and it was day by day by day. And He's continuing to do that for us still.
and he has been so faithful to provide in practical ways, in unexpected ways um, over the last couple years. And joy has been returning to my home, laughter has been returning to my home, and there are, there are still things that I'm waiting for God to do, waiting for him to put right, um, to heal, to provide. Um, we still struggle with, uh, I'm struggling with a lot of fear still. My kids and our hearts are still very tender. Um, relationship with their dad is very strained. Um, there are just days where just single parenting is so overwhelming. I don't have um, the resources that my kids need and, and I'm looking to God to fill those gaps and I don't always know what that's gonna look like or how he's gonna do that or how he's gonna provide for their hearts or my hearts or our future, but he's always made a way and I know he's gonna continue to make a way. that a great reminder? Lord, we don't know how you make a way, but you will. From 
Eden to Zion, to the empty grave. I don't know how you make a way, but God, I know you will. Before we receive communion today to close out our service, this is normally the time in service where I would say like, okay, everyone bow your head and close your eyes. But we're not gonna do that today. We're gonna actually do something a little bit different. And if you could take out that white card that you received whenever you walked in. If everybody could do it, if you're in the choir, if you're on staff, if you're a volunteer, whatever, if everyone could. If you need a card, lift your hand up. One of the ushers will get that to you. And just make sure you have a pen as well. But along with this card of being a practical sur survey, we, we wanted to close out before we receive communion to, together to, to do a spiritual survey. And what you'll actually find is right at the bottom of the back side of the card, you'll see four different letters, A, B, C, and D. And each one of those letters represents like a spiritual condition. It represents kind of like where you are with the Lord. So know before you choose one, know that you are one, right? Like, you know, and we're gonna walk through what those things mean, but we wanna, we felt like one of the best things we do before we dive into receive communion, what scripture actually implores us to do is to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. And I don't think there's any better day to really examine where we're at with the Lord than on Easter Sunday, because our heart isn't just for you to celebrate a bunny and celebrate Easter eggs and celebrate, um, Jesus, but actually experience in your life the power of the resurrection, that what happened then, you can actually experience it now. And the best way that we want to actually do this is, is just for you to evaluate where you are. So let me walk through what each of these letters means. A stands for this, like you already have a, re like a real relationship with the resurrected Jesus. And it might not be perfect, but it's real. Anyone here perfect? Okay, just wanted to make sure, all right? But if you have a relationship like you have allowed him in and he is Lord and, and, and Savior of your life, we have hundreds of people check that box each year, but you know, if, you know, we would encourage you, if that is you today, would you, would you just check that box? Or you could be B today and B stands for this. You need to begin a relationship with the resurrected Jesus today. Or maybe begin again. Because maybe you, you know, you grew up in church or you've, you went to youth group or, or maybe at a period in your life, like you were following Jesus, but then life happened and you got off course. And, and maybe today you're just at church because it's what you do on Easter Sunday. And maybe today you need to make a commitment to like, to re-begin, to like begin again your relationship with the Lord. Or maybe you've never made a conscious cognitive decision to say, I, Jesus, like I wanna follow you. Like I, like I might not know everything, I might not know every single truth, but what I've heard, I want to receive. I want to receive resurrection life. I, I want to be assured that when I die, death is a doorway to something better. And, and that knowing like at the end of your story, whatever your story is, whatever your story will be, you can know the end and the end is life because Jesus wins, you win. If that's you, I want you to be courageous and check that B box today. Maybe it's C though, and C stands for consider. So maybe you're like, John, this is great, this is good. You're, you're an amazing preacher. No, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. But I'm not ready yet. And actually, I appreciate that. Like, I can respect that because even in scripture, you see, one of the things Jesus told people before they started to follow him was you need to consider the cost. And so what I would say is maybe you're at that point where you're like, I'm, I'm just not sure. And that's okay. Like, we respect that. And if that's where you are, be courageous and check that box. Or you might say D, and D simply stands for, John, I don't ever intend on following this Jesus guy. And if that's you, hey, we appreciate the candidness and the honesty. Check that box. But just know if you check it, we're going to be praying for you. Because we love you and we want you to experience the goodness of Jesus today. So if that is you, check it. Wherever you are, I would just ask for honesty. And check that box, be courageous, and check that box. I'm gonna give you about 30, 45 seconds. And once you are done filling that out and checking the box that applies to you, would you just bow your head so I can know you're done? And once I see a good number of you have bowed your head, we will receive communion together.
before we receive communion together, I do want to pray quickly with those who checked the B box today, who, who have declared that they want to begin again or they want to begin a real relationship with God. I just want to pray a quick prayer and take your hand and put it in Jesus' hand. This doesn't mean you're joining a church. This simply means that we believe today you are experiencing the resurrected Jesus. And as we take your hand, put it in Jesus' hand, you'll start to see this, this higher level of, of like I'm living in a different narrative. Freedom is available. And you start to see that, you start to see what God is doing instead of what God isn't doing. And that's one of the beautiful things as you encounter him. So if you checked B today, we want to pray with you. And what I'm going to ask is everyone here, would, would we just join in with all those that checked B today on, and are going to be praying this? And would you pray this with me? Would you pray, Jesus, I make my heart your home. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place and for my sin. Yet, rising from the dead and giving me the opportunity to know the end of my story, that it is life. So Jesus, I give you my life, all of it. I don't compartmentalize. I give it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you said B today, we just want to congratulate you. And we believe that today is the start of something special and supernatural in your life today. But LifeHouse family, we're going to close our service out today by receiving communion together. Would you stand, would you stand with me today? And then we're going to pray together. And then we're going to go get brunch or lunch. Are y'all excited about, like, I'm hungry. I've preached three times. I'm ready to eat a horse. I, no, that's, is that even a statement, Jarvis? I don't think so. I don't think we eat horses. I don't think we should. That's bad. Okay. Don't put this on the, on the podcast, okay? I don't want to eat horses. I don't have Peter coming up for me now. But anyway, um, let's go ahead and take the wafer. And here's the thing. Communion is something we, we typically do to signify the death of Jesus. But it also has a prophetic significance as well. Because one of the things that we're going to be doing with Jesus forever is eating and partying with him. It's not the kind of partying you know at college, okay? This is the kind of like there's going to be genuine happiness there's 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 going to be knowledge like you're going to know what you're doing and we're, we're and we're going to be eating and dwelling with our king forever so communion isn't just about the death it's about what we're going to experience one day in new life so take the wafer hold it up jesus we love you we thank you today on this day that we're celebrating your life we want to thank you for giving your life and thank you for not leaving us where we are but giving us what we do not deserve and that is life you are the resurrection and the life and we celebrate that today and we eat today with victory and with grateful hearts. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Let us eat together. You can go ahead and take the cup and take the top off. And hold it up. Don't spill it on someone next to you. That'd be awkward. But Lord, today, we hold this cup up in victory knowing you have beat death. And because you have beat death, we know the end of our story, that it is life. So, Lord, we give you our stories no matter what they are, what they will be. And we thank you that we know the end, resurrection and life. So, Jesus, we are reminded of that today as we receive this cup, that one day we're going to be dwelling with you forever and drinking with you. So, Lord, we do this today with grateful hearts. Let us, let us drink. My life out family can we just give god praise lord we love you today we're going to close out service today by saying a corporate prayer and this is something that i want us to pray like we mean it like pray like god is alive like pray like we don't serve a dead god but i want us to pray this prayer together as one body as one church declaring that we serve a risen king so the words are going to be on the screen behind me join in with me and let's declare this everyone say this jesus no 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 sorry we're gonna say it together you don't say it after me it's all right we're gonna get it go we're gonna get this down we're just trying to lift up hands too just a sign of surrender all right ready i'm gonna start and you join in jesus thank you for doing what i couldn't do overcoming satan sin and death thank you for enabling me to live in a new narrative 
empowering me to live free and reminding me, let's, let's hold on, that, that what? You will always make a way. Come on, somebody. As I leave today, fill me afresh with the power of your Holy Spirit. Sorry, I'm, I'm just adding words. I'm just excited. And, and use me this week to be your voice, hands, feet, and presence wherever I go. And everyone here said, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot Lifehouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about Lifehouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.